My dear friends in Christ, grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. The blessings, the beatitudes of which, of Jesus in Matthew's gospel, you just heard them. It's his first real um, teaching that is recorded. It's the first time that Jesus really has an extended monologue of any kind in Matthew's gospel. And right in line with Matthew showing us who Jesus is as the fulfillment of messianic hopes that had been with Israel for centuries, whatever he's going to say now here in his first little speech, you have to believe is going to set the tone for his entire ministry, for everything that follows in the rest of the gospel, for what he's about. And so you can imagine that ears were itching, people were anxious to hear, and this is what he says. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart, the peacemakers, those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Blessed are you when people revile you, persecute you. The kingdom of heaven that Jesus has come to embody and to announce, to usher in, is, I guess, apparently a reversal of fortune, right? A Kind of a turning upside down of where true power and true fulfillment lay. So it appears anyway from those who are described as being blessed because near every single one of those would not make anybody's list of those who appear to have an easy time of it, those who appear to have God's favor on them, not in this world anyway, as we know it, right? I heard something from a biblical scholar recently that kind of rocked my world with how I hear the blessings in these Beatitudes in Matthew 5. Um, Rolf Jacobson, who is a professor of Old Testament at Luther Seminary and who went to seminary as a student with me and with, with Chris Blaine years and years ago, um, he explained in a podcast that I was listening to that that Greek word that we translate as blessed or happy, joyful, makarios, right? It shows up in the Septuagint. And for those of you who do not know what the Septuagint is, let me tell you. The Septuagint is the first Greek, comprehensive Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament, okay? And in that translation of the Hebrew into the Greek, the Old Testament, that word makario shows up in a unique place. It shows up in um, the first psalm in your Bible. I don't know if you've got the psalms memorized, but you probably know this one, okay? Um, it goes like this, blessed are those who do not follow the advice of the wicked or take the path that sinners tread or sit in the steet of scoffers, but their delight is in the law of the Lord and they meditate on His day, law day and night. Blessed are those who are listening to God instead of listening to the world. And the word in Hebrew that is used, that is translated makarios in the Greek, happy, joyful, blessed, is Asherah. And Asherah in Hebrew is actually something closer to enviable. Worthy of envy are those who listen to God rather than listening to the world. And I got to thinking about that, how that relates to the Beatitudes, enviable. 
Enviable are the pure in heart. Enviable are the peacemakers. Enviable are those who are poor in spirit. Hmm. I think in thinking about the people we envy, just think about this for just a second. Everybody envies somebody, right? You do envy somebody. I know you do. Who are they? Just bring them to mind right now. Who are the people that you envy? Maybe it's just one person that you really look at and say, man, I wish I were them. Envy. I think if we're honest, we'd have to admit that most of the people that we envy, those who are worthy of our envy, we do so based on our perceptions of things like their beauty, right? Or their strength, or their wealth, their power, maybe some unique talent or gift that they have that we wish we had, they tend to be the ones that we see kind of moving through the world with relative ease and grace, right? But Jesus says, eh, not so fast. These are the real people worthy of envy. Those who appear to have nothing to commend themselves except one thing, the fact that God's favor is on them because God sees them smiles on them. Enviable are the poor in spirit. In other words, those who don't appear to have some plethora or overabundance of spiritual gifts and maybe even struggle with doubt. They're enviable. Why? Because they know their strength has to come from somewhere other than their own faith. Enviable are the meek. Not the weak, the meek. Those who quietly and unobtrusively stand by their principles instead of caving into an easier path because they will be the ones who inherit the earth. Worthy of envy are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, even if dedicating themselves to that task is going to cost them things like their friends or their family, for they will be filled. Enviable are the mercy, merciful even though the world should label them soft, soft on crime, soft-headed, or just soft-hearted rubes, right? They will receive mercy, Jesus says, because they know how to give it. Enviable are the pure in heart, even though most of the world labels those kinds of people kind of prudish, right? They just don't know how to have a good time. Ah, they will see God, Jesus says. Enviable are the peacemakers, even though they might be frustrated at every turn by the machine of hate. They're enviable because they're the ones who will be called children of God. For folks at the bottom, you know, of this world's insidious food chain, who have nothing in the way of power, nothing in the way of influence, Perhaps these pronouncements coming from Jesus' mouth could uplift based solely on the promise that's attached to each one, that these are the ones that would inherit the kingdom. They would inherit the earth. They would be filled. They will see mercy, see God, be called children of God. All these reversal of fortune types of promises. But I left one blessing out, and I wonder if you noticed it. I stumble on this one every time, this particular beatitude. And it catches me up short when I read it. Enviable are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Really, 
enviable are those who mourn. With each week that goes by, each day, the national and the world news is absolutely filled, isn't it, with reports of a, one tragedy after another, you know? Another mass shooting, another bunch of bombs raining down on some Ukrainian city, another flood or tornado or blizzard claiming lives somewhere within our country's borders even. And so I've been thinking this week in light of the Beatitudes about them. And by them, I mean the familial survivors of the slaughtered. Along with all the other people connected to these victims, uh, friends, co-workers, neighbors, maybe fellow congregation members, classmates, those thrown into mourning at the blink of an eye because a trigger got pulled, or because a button got pushed, or because a storm bore down. Who would envy them, any of them, in their mourning? What could possibly make them worthy of anybody's envy? The promise of the blessing for those who mourn, that they will be comforted that don't sound to me like nearly enough of vindication to produce envy. <laughs> you know what I mean? Comforted? Really? In my experience, the only way to truly vindicate a mourning person is to somehow restore that for which they mourn. The words of condolence, the thoughts and prayers, the hug, the hand on the shoulder, the hot dish brought over to the house, the note of heartfelt sympathy. These things that we can do, right, for those who mourn, they are good and they are valuable insofar as they go, right? But let's face it, none of those things is enough to make anybody envious of those who mourn. But then it strikes me that Jesus' promise here spoken on the side of a mountain at the beginning of his teaching in the book of Matthew, the fifth chapter, the fourth verse, might just be the greatest understatement ever uttered by Jesus. Enviable are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Why do I say that's an understatement? Well, because when it comes right down to it, the reversal that Jesus announces in every single one of these blessings is something that only God and His divine power can do. Did you notice that? The only one who can turn people's hearts away from vengeance towards mercy is also the only one who can call Lazarus out of his tomb. The only one who can strengthen the meek and the peacemaker is the one who can finally break the wheel of death. You know this, right? And I think it's this article of faith that Paul was thinking about when he wrote to his congregation in Thessalonica, we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about those who have died, so that you may not grieve as those do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, so also through 
Jesus, God will bring with Him those who have died. See, the real reason that any of these folks are enviable is all and only because God's mission to turn the hearts of His people back toward Him and away from the world. And because He is about the business of destroying absolutely everything that would threaten to destroy His children, death included, the ministry that Jesus is going to embark upon now in Matthew's gospel, it's not very complicated. It's pretty straightforward. Just like Moses once came down that mountain, Sinai, with that instruction for how God's people might be able to live a full, free, joyful life with each other and with their God, so now Jesus on this mountain is laying out God's vision for a world that is aligned with the things that God is actually concerned about. Justice, righteousness, peace, mercy, hope, and maybe more than anything, trust. Trust in a life beyond anything we have dared to yet imagine. It's that trust that living, that's living inside of us that makes us worthy of envy, that constitutes your blessedness. That, dear friends, is God's favor upon you, the very faith that lives inside of you. You are enviable for your faith. Thanks be to God for it. Amen.